Hello, and welcome to Road to COP26, a new Euromoney podcast series. I'm Lucy Fitzgeorge-Parker. I'm the editor for Sustainable Finance at Euromoney magazine, and I'll be your host for this weekly series in which I'll be looking ahead to some of the key themes for the climate conference in Glasgow in November. For the first episode in our series, I'm delighted to be joined by someone who is literally on the road to Glasgow. Anna Lehman is a carbon market veteran and global climate policy director at conservation company Wildlife Works, and also a neighbour of mine in Brighton. But Anna, you're not in Brighton at the moment. Where are you and what are you doing there? Oh, I'm just climbing um, a hill uh, called Malcrop, east of Manchester. We have stunning views um, and yeah, I'm hoping to reach Castle Hill by the end of today. And why are you climbing a hill in Manchester? <laughs> well, I'm together with a group of pilgrims. We walk in from London to Glasgow to the UN conference that's taken place there at the beginning of November. Okay, and why are you walking all the way there? We're walking because we feel, for various reasons, I think the pilgrims, you know, we're a group of 20 people, a bit more. Um, most of them have artistic backgrounds, theatre makers and performers and writers and dancers, and um, some also with an environmental background. And everybody has obviously their own objective, but the, but the shared greater group objective here is to to tune into what nature tells us. We call ourselves listening to the land, a pilgrimage for nature, because we feel the urge to really feel into and hear what we hear from the land and its people. And, and personally, I started this project because I've got a huge curiosity for what's going on in people's minds and hearts with regards to climate change and the state of environmental pollution and the loss of nature and biodiversity and what it does to them but also what the solutions are that they find and in my experience as an agricultural economist in the field many in other countries I, I just know that there are so many solutions I'm not really keen to hear what the solutions are in the country that I live in which is Britain right now and so so we want to hear that and we want to bring those observations but listening up to Glasgow and to make that heard because a big motivation of mine behind this is I I feel from my conversations I've worked in this field for 20 years I feel so much support from people for green decisions yeah. for green policies but they often don't show up in the elections or they're not really being seen and, and many of the politicians probably don't feel that they're being supported and backed by that so, so really we want to um, galvanize this positive support of, hey, we're here to help you turn the ship. Tell us what you want. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And so, how's it going? You've had pretty good weather so far. I, I guess you've been you've been very lucky. We've been extremely lucky with the weather. The summer basically started for us on the fourth of September when we started in London, and since then it has been, yeah, really good. Um, we are expecting, of course, colder weather now that we are almost north of Manchester and moving into Glasgow. And what's been the reaction from people you've been meeting along the way so far? Has it been pretty positive? Absolutely. We're, we're just being welcomed with open arms and, and curiosity. And so many people on the way who we meet and speak to, obviously, you know, the, the pilgrims, we, we wake up in little groups and some walk by themselves, some walk in silence, some are more chatty. Um, it really depends on the day and how we feel. Um, but 
wherever we come past, people open open their heart, make us tea and bring us biscuits <laughs> on the way and um, are inviting us over or um, it's and, and the house where we're staying, we're camping and um, usually are um, yeah, asking for to, you know, in, today we're going to stay in the garden of in a yoga center and um, and very often they offer us food, which is um, beautiful and, and really want to come and have these conversations. We, in the evenings, where we can, we have a fire and and invite people in. So we've announced through social media and local platforms that we're coming and inviting people for chats around the fireside. We're also having workshops on the way, a couple of workshops planned out together with our partners, Letters to the Earth, where we're inviting um, children and and people from all sorts of backgrounds to join and, and share with us their hopes and fears for nature and what they would like it to bring up to Glasgow. <laughs> That's a, it sounds amazing. It, it really does. I'm, I'm really very envious. I, I wish I was out there with you. So are you walking all the way to Glasgow? No, I unfortunately can't walk all the way. I would have loved to. Um, but I, in my day job, we're preparing for Glasgow as well. We're launching, hopefully, something quite special. Uh, we're developing forest conservation sites with indigenous people in, in tropical countries, which is why I find the process of re-indigenizing myself to my European roots so exciting. And, um, and if I may add just one word on, on that, in our messaging for Glasgow, what becomes clearer and clearer is that we feel us connecting to nature here in the Western world is, is so very important because it helps us also to connect to other people who are still very connected to their land, indigenous people around the world. And so we're walking in solidarity with each other. There's a group of Maasai elders that are walking in Tanzania um, and in Kenya and in other parts of Africa are more tribes also pilgrimaging and some of them will come to Glasgow as well so we see in Glasgow an amazing combination of um, people from all around the world who, who really build this positive energy for nature which we're hoping to shoot into the conference center through massive arrows of love I think. <laughs> I, I think it's always good in any conference to have massive arrows of love that that's that's fantastic uh, and particularly in Glasgow in November I think it sounds like that's something everyone's going to need. It'll be much needed right? Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant yeah but I so I will have to head back to my desk. Well, I'm sorry you have to go back, but it would be great when you are back at your desk to have a quick chat with you about your day job and carbon markets. Um, I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on that and what's coming up for Glasgow and COP26. But um, and yes, thank you very much indeed for taking time out on the pilgrimage. Well, thank you for calling in. I'm glad the connection held. It wasn't always um, clear that this would work today, but I'm glad it did. And yes, very happy to, to chat about all things voluntary carbon markets. Well, I was lucky enough to catch up with Anna again a week later, by which time the weather had changed significantly for the worse, and Brighton, like the rest of the country, was being lashed by torrential rain and gale-force winds. So, Anna, I know you were having a wonderful time on the road, but uh, was there part of you that was quite glad to get back to your desk before the storms hit? Actually, I was, because I did realize my waterproofs weren't so waterproof. <laughs> like the group of pilgrims that really committed to this journey, I didn't do my research very well, and I just trusted into my quite old gear. And 
yeah, I felt the call to go back after <laughs> three days of rain. Okay, well, it's great for me that also that you're back at your desk because I wanted to ask you about your day job and carbon markets because I know that carbon markets is something you know a lot about and it's something everyone is telling me is going to be a key theme at COP26. So first, could you briefly tell me what your background is in carbon markets and what your involvement is in the market at the moment? Sure. Well, by background, I'm an agricultural economist. I started developing carbon projects in 2001. That was when the Kyoto Protocol was just in the making. And we saw this as an opportunity to drive more money into the green sector, into reforestation and afforestation at the time, mostly. I then went on to work for an asset manager to develop voluntary as well as compliance uh, portfolios. I advised installations that were covered under the European Emissions Trading Scheme on their CR and EUA swap strategies. And from then on, um, moved into policy and regulatory affairs, worked for a renewable energy developer and investor, Syndicate of Sustainable Resources, uh, specialized in developing large solar power facilities in Asia. And um, yeah, so that's been you know, almost 20 years. And I've been through the carbon market from the very beginning, through the height of it, and then also through the collapse that started with the global financial crisis when global emissions went down and when carbon prices collapsed pretty much. And I'm quite excited to see a resurgence again of the topic and, and the interest that it's been sparked by the big financial players now moving into the voluntary carbon market. And what is your role in it now? I am Global Climate Policy Director with Wildlife Works. We are a forest conservation company. We develop conservation sites in tropical forests together with local communities and indigenous peoples. And I support in my practice our regional teams, our country teams in government relations and in the negotiations with both communities and governments in setting up the structures, the financial structures, as well as the um, the operating structures to run large conservation projects. And so are you seeing a lot more interest in this now from financial sector players? Absolutely, yes. And very much sparked by the Task Force for Scaling the Voluntary Carbon Market, TSVCM, which was founded by Mark Carney, I think, in his role as a UN Special Envoy on Climate Action, who gathered the financial industry uh, around that topic to drive action and finance into mitigation. And involved in the um, TSVCM, the task force yourself? Yes, I've been an observer or or contributed to the working groups. We joined after the first blueprint report was written and have been in on the various calls in the various working groups since then. We, we joined the governance working group as well as the uh, core carbon principles working group to assure the quality of supply. And the purpose of this is to scale the uh, voluntary carbon markets by trying to create standardisation in the market and achieving some sort of consensus, which I think it's hoped will perhaps push up the price of, of carbon credits a bit and make the whole market a bit more viable you've got a lot of experience in the field. This has been tried before. Do you think it is something that is closer today than it was previously? Well, there certainly is a good element um, to this initiative right now, or a positive drive currently um, is that it brings a bigger group of people into the space that are 
seeing voluntary carbon markets as a tool to drive finance and to drive emission reductions and also to start consolidating some of the methodologies that have been developed so far. There is differences between standards, there's differences between methodologies, and some of them are not considered as high quality as others, but there is no international forum that brings them all together. And we don't really have a platform within the industry to discuss this because some of them are very national or sector specific. And that is really an extremely useful um, process that's taking place right now where experts are putting their heads together, similar to what we had under the Kyoto Protocol with the CDM Executive Board, where we had a central body that looked at methodologies and accreditation processes for the verifiers. And so that's part of the standardization is very useful and for us to create this platform now to have this conversation. What is tricky is that we are having a lot of people joining who are very new to the subject, who probably enter the space with more opinions than knowledge. Opinions, you know, obviously formed by, by news articles or whatever they've heard from somebody else. So, so we feel we're also sort of thrown back to the very beginning of the conversation of what actually constitutes quality credits. And, and there is also certain risks involved because we have developed and advanced standards and methodologies for a lot of project types over the last two decades. And they have moved on from being very granular to being more sector specific or more scalable. So we see a lot of positive action has happened to assure the quality of the credits, but that is just not being seen or not being understood by certain people in the groups. So, yeah, we need to also be mindful to not reinvent the wheel as we move forwards now. Okay, well... Uh, COP26. We are, we are supposed to be talking about COP26 as well. And as I said, I keep being told that carbon markets are going to be a big topic there. What are you expecting from Glasgow? Do you think there will be any significant developments, big announcements? Well, so the COP, you know, there's the inside part, the inside meaning, the negotiations themselves, and then the outside part, everything that happens outside of the negotiations. Inside the negotiations, it's a very procedural COP, this one. we are, I don't have high expectations of making landmark progress, but also it's not really on the agenda. For the carbon markets, Article 6 is certainly the most important one, which defines how countries can collaborate in their mitigation ambition. So it's 6.2 offers a route to international emissions trading, linking of emissions trading scheme and um, transaction of international units. Whereas Article 6.4 is the sustainable development mechanism is similar to the CDM and is, is more like an offset type mechanism that has been pushed by some of the southern countries. And then there are 6.8, which is a framework for non-market approaches on which we haven't seen so much progress yet. And the question really is, I mean, it's, it's very it's very technical, it's very procedural, and hopefully we'll see negotiators being able to put a bit more meat to the bone on, on those elements. But what that really will mean, I don't think we'll, any, we'll see much significant outcome there. I think what we will see is, I mean, certainly the British government is putting a lot of effort into driving countries towards making firmer commitments on how to reach net zero by 2050. 
And a second focus of theirs is to drive commitments into the protection of communities and the natural environment. And both of that is actually outside of the Paris Agreement itself. In the Paris Agreement, you know, it's, it's, it's a sovereign decision to take on an ambitious climate target or not. And there's no legally binding obligation for countries to adhere to certain targets, unlike the Kyoto Protocol. So it only can be a plea to action and a plea to commitments that can be driven here. But we'll see. We'll see what rabbit that the British government will pull out of the hat to drive ambition further. And you're saying that your company, Wildlife Works, you're going to have a big announcement at COP, is that right? I mean, obviously, you can't tell me what it is yet, but... That's right. I can't speak about the announcement just now. Um, but yes, with Wildlife Works, we have just entered into an investment partnership with Hartree Partners, which we are very excited about. That was announced in June this year. And that partnership will generate $2 billion of private finance that will flow directly into communities, um, into community-driven forest conservation projects. So um, my company, we are now in a, in a big growth phase and approaching governments and exploring um, more project opportunities all around the world in, in tropical countries, which is exciting. And that collaboration between the private sector and local communities certainly is new. And we're very pleased and very proud of being able to to support the development of such a new disbursement channel or financing mechanism that really supports local communities and gives them a seat at the table, different to structures that we've seen before. Fantastic. And um, last question, will you be walking any more of the way to Glasgow? <laughs> I very much hope so. I hope to join the group before they reach Edinburgh. Um, but yeah, we, we'll see about that. <laughs> it sounds as though you're pretty busy. For sure. Yeah, that's for sure. But um, it will be good. It will be good to catch up with the group and get a bit of their positive energy before I then enter into all the negotiation <laughs> spaces again. <laughs> and if people want to find out more about the pilgrimage or support it, where can they go to find more details? The best place to go is our website, pilgrimageforNature.com. There's a link to our crowdfunder. That's um, yeah a good way to support us or support us by walking and tagging yourself or sharing a photo on Instagram and sharing it with us. Well, Anna, thank you very much indeed for doing this podcast, particularly when you're so busy. It's been great talking to you and I look forward very much to seeing you in Glasgow, if not before. Thank you, Lucy. Well, that's it for today. Please do join me next week when, to mark the UN Biodiversity Conference, I'll be talking to Fabienne Huvila of Poseidon Capital about some of the most exciting developments in nature finance and what COP26 might mean for the sector. If you'd like more COP coverage in the meantime, head over to our website and check out our COP26 page at euromoney.com forward slash COP26. Until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.